Welcome to the Life of Christ, Part 2, Term 2. This is Lesson 18. We're going to pick up where we left off once again. Uh, I'm going to go back to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1, just to begin this session. Again, it says here, this is on page 6, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. All right, Because he ate nothing, says Luke. Now, before we look at these verses, it is important to note the following. Craig A. Evans, in his commentary, says, that Fitzmaier believes that Matthew has retained the original order, which is reflected in the logical progression of the temptations from desert floor to pinnacle of the temple to high mountain. So you can see how this thing is going up. And in, this, in the descending order of Jesus' quotations from Deuteronomy. All right, And I've given you all the verses there. So we're going to follow Matthew's progression on this because... Matthew's Gospel is the one that does it in the right order. So we're going to follow that. So, as I've said here, we will follow Matthew's order events, not Luke's. And as to the first two verses, there are several things of great importance here. Firstly, William Hendrickson points out that it is clear that Matthew, as well as the other apostles' writers, and Jesus himself, believed in the existence of a personal Prince of Evil. Can we stop there for a minute? People say, well, the devil doesn't exist. Well, they all believed in his existence. Obviously. You can't get tempted by nobody. Can I get amen on that? (laughs) So, you know, people say, oh, we make the devil up in ourselves. And, you know, it's a figment of our imagination. This wasn't a figment that was tempting him. This wasn't a figment that took him to the top of, top of a pinnacle and then to, you know, to a mountaintop and all of those things. It wasn't a figment. This is actually going on. Are you all with me? And it's also important to understand, not only Jesus, but the apostles and the gospel writers, or the writers of the New Testament, all knew that there was a devil. All right? So that, that issue needs to be sort of put to bed right now. Are we good with that? All right, let's move on. Hendrickson continues, Having been cast out of heaven... The devil is filled with fury and envy. Now those are two key things. He's mad and he's envious. Okay, he's mad and he's envious. You see there's a rage there. It's an unquenchable rage. He hates mankind. Which is the reason why he does everything to destroy man. Do you hear what I'm saying? He brings in gender separations, racial separations, everything he can. See, this is the reason why a lot of times people don't understand why we believe what we believe and what, what we mean by we, underst- we, we believe in equality. All right? Because man was never created one under the other. All right? And a part of inequality, whatever form it takes... All right? Whether it was man against woman, or Jews against Gentiles, and so on and so forth, it's all coming from the enemy. He always brings division and separation. Do you understand? Why? Because he's full of fury and envy. His hatred is directed against God and His people. And especially against His great enemy, the Messiah, who He wishes to deceive and seduce in order that the Messiah's kingdom may also be doomed. And all this was a real possibility according to Hebrews 4.15, which clearly states that we do not have a high priest who cannot 
sympathized with our weaknesses, but, listen to this, was in all points tempted as we are. Alright? Meaning that, like us, Jesus Himself experienced weakness and temptation in extent and in range in every way. Did you get that? See, a lot of people say, oh, God can't understand what I'm going through. Have you ever heard that? You know, how, how can He ever know, you know? And this is the whole point of Hebrews 4.15. It says that He was tempted. For Him to be tempted means He was tempted. Amen? But notice how it ends, yet without sin. Alright? So if He can be tempted and not sin, He lives in us. When we're tempted, we have the power in us to also go through it without sinning. Amen? Can we receive that? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. <laughs> Some days you've got to put the Jesus' name in there, okay? Because it's hard to swallow. But it's there. The power is in you. Okay? This is not some new age thing. It really is in you. Okay? It's not some weird thing. It's God is in you. And the same person who didn't sin is there for you. He said, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. Amen? Second, and of greater significance is what so many fail to see here, and that is Jesus Christ, God manifested in the flesh, that's according to John 1.14, had been waiting for 4,000 years, along with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, for this day, to finally challenge Satan himself, and take back everything that was so deceptively and wrongfully stolen from God's most precious creation, mankind. Did you get that? See, a lot of people read this, and they see how the Spirit immediately led Jesus into the wilderness, and it looked like, my goodness, God couldn't wait to make Him suffer. Do you understand, okay? When you read it, and this is how people, you know, people interpret this stuff, man, and then they may build doctrines on it. They say, well, you know, Jesus suffered, and He suffered in the wilderness, and you know, and, and the Spirit led Him there to suffer. That's their whole take on it. Has anybody heard that preach that way? Yeah, you know, I used to get that all the time. It used to make me sick. Anyway, you know when you know something is wrong? When you look at something and think, yeah, that's what you're saying, but it doesn't sit right. Amen? And then you find out what was really going on. I, I need you... And I want you to understand that Jesus Christ was never in a position of weakness, ever. You've got to start there. You've got to understand that He was God, come down in the flesh. He had thrown down the gauntlet in uh, Genesis 3.15. He said, basically to the devil, I'm coming back. Amen? And He prophesied about Himself. He said... You bruise his heel, but he'll crush your head. That was a promise he's been waiting to keep. For 4,000 years, those words have been just sitting there, and the devil has been freaking out. <laughs> Do you get this? See, you need to understand that when the devil started this, he was sweating blood. Because he was thinking, oh no. You know the devil remembers too. Do you hear what I'm saying? He still remembered that promise. The reason he was getting rid of people all the way along, because he thought that might be the Messiah. You know, maybe Moses is. Maybe Abel was. I mean, you just kill everybody. Because it could be the Messiah. And then suddenly he turns up. 
Are you all here? And so he's like, oh, let's check this one out. And here we go. And you need to see it in this light. All right? Let's keep going. Chuck Swindle puts it so well when he says, I'm over the page, Jesus went into the desert to confront his enemy and throw down the gauntlet. He would prove himself to be the legitimate shepherd of Israel by overcoming the temptations that had undone all of Israel's previous kings, including his mighty ancestor, King David. Are you getting this now? Are you beginning to see what's going on here? These are two kingdoms at war now. The devil is the champion of his kingdom, and here comes the champion of God's kingdom. 4,000 years later, they had an encounter in Genesis, okay, because of what man had done, and there was a promise, I'll be back. So began the battle between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Between the creator and the created. With the very first temptation being that of a personal nature designed to force the Lord to prove his identity. See, he doesn't know. You've got to pick up on this. All right? This is the reason why I'm spending some time on these things. He's stupid. He still doesn't get it. He doesn't know what's going on. His communication system is terrible. Remember, he runs everything through fear. You can just imagine, you know, a devil going, Oh, I think that's the Messiah. And he tells the other devil, Ah, you going to break the news to him or me? And the, you can just imagine the devil going, the other one going, Forget it, you do it, I'm not going to do it. Are you kidding? Do you know how he gets mad at everything? I don't want to be the one that gets zapped by him. I'm making all this up. But I want to let you know something. Things aren't as great as the devil tells you they are in his kingdom. Can I just say that? Things get missed and slipped over and passed by. God only knows what all goes down there. You see, God is the one that rewards and encourages. The devil is always stifling. Have you noticed that? That is his nature and that's what he do to everything and everyone under him. Which is why it's so stupid that those angels followed him. You get what I'm saying? So it says here, verse 3. Now when the tempter or the devil, says Luke 4.3, came to him, inferring that he took on some kind of physical form so he could be seen and heard. Alright, notice the devil came to him. Did you get all that? Okay. He said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Here's the question. Alright, so we're not sure. This is the reason why I said to you before, Jesus never did anything to show that he was the Messiah. There was no you know, clay birds coming to life. There was no dead bodies raised when he was a kid. There was nothing to show that he was the Messiah. Do you understand what I'm saying now? That's why all that stuff is so wrong. Because he didn't do anything. The only thing that is recorded one time about his childhood is the time when he was talking to all the priests in the temple. And he was wowing them out with his, with his insights and wisdom. And they were just so shocked. All right, and but that's the, that's it. That was the only time. You don't see another time where he does that. He could have, but he didn't. Interesting, isn't it? All right. Okay. So there's nothing to say. This this is the Messiah. Do you understand? He hasn't done anything yet, except there's this problem. Heavens opened up at his baptism. Now that didn't happen normally. A bunch of people were getting baptized by John. This has never happened before. That's where it started. 
Do you understand? A voice came down saying, this is my son who I am well pleased. Now, whether the devil was there or not, we don't know. See, we make the mistake of attributing the devil God's qualities. The devil is an angel. He isn't like God omnipresent. Can I say that again? All right. The devil can only be in one place at one time. God can be everywhere all the time. He created all things. All things are upheld by the power of His Word, or the Word of His power, excuse me. Okay? He is everywhere. He is the life that runs throughout the universe. Do you understand? And He is everywhere. The devil isn't. Now, who's to say the devil was there at that moment? I'm just asking you some questions. There's nothing to say one way or the other. I'm not saying he wasn't. I'm not saying he was. I'm just saying, who's to say? He could have been elsewhere. It could have been some little demon going, Oh boy, this is bad. <laughs> you know, Heavens have opened up. There's a voice saying, This is my beloved son. Oh, mom, mom, please. He's going, I, I think that might be him. We need to go tell the boss. Okay, so we, this time we have to go tell him. Because this is now happening. Like it or not, it's happening now. All right. And so, the next thing is, the devil is on the scene. Are you all here? Alright, now, understand something. You know, we think about travel and stuff like that. They can travel, angels can travel, I believe, somewhere up to the speed of light. Can, can we just say that? You can travel at the speed of thought. You can outrun them. Just so you know. Anyway, alright, okay. That's, don't ever worry that you didn't get wings. You don't need wings when you can think your way to somewhere. When you can get translated, that's not at the speed of light. Do you know everything subatomic works faster than light? Do you know in quantum physics everything works faster? Do you know your brain works faster than light? Did you know that? You didn't know that. Okay. Your brain works on a quantum level. It works beyond the speed of light. I think that's awesome. Okay? Which means there's no limitation. So, you know, you, you can travel beyond the speed of light. Let me just say that and move on. So, back to this. Who's to say where the devil was? But now, the two are meeting. So this is the first time, because it didn't say the devil was there at the baptism. There's no mention of him, but we know now that there is a conflict about to take place. Alright? The two forces, the head of both forces have come face to face now. Remember, the devil appears to him. And the first question now he's asking. So I'm saying all of that to say this. I honestly don't know if the devil actually knew whether this was the Messiah or not. He needs to check him out somehow. This is also a temptation. Do you understand? So some people have taught it from a place of temptation, that he was sort of trying to tempt Jesus to do something. All right, And of course that's there too. I'm not taking away from that. I'm just giving you another perspective now as well. Take this, because a lot of times multiple things happen, and we need to see all of the things that are going on. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. All right. So, one way or the other, this is going down now. So, first the phrase, when the tempter or the devil came to him, meaning that the temptation came from the outside, which is where all of Satan's temptations come from. Number one. Okay. Second, with regard to the devil being the tempter, as William Hendrickson so wisely points out, his, that is the devil's, meanness consists especially in this, that he first tempts a man or woman into sin, then when the tempted one follows his advice, the tempter becomes the accuser. 
Moreover, he will even continue to accuse the fallen one after the latter's sin has already been forgiven. Amen? So he's the one that tempts you to do something. Once you do it, he's, he then stands there and says, oh, How could you? You knew better and you did that. And even when you go to God and ask God for forgiveness, He'll keep at you. He'll say, you know you don't deserve to be forgiven. Amen. And He just keeps at you and keeps at you. He's at the front end and the back end of it. Amen. Good to know. Alright, third. In relation to what the tempter actually said, all indications are that it was filled with ridicule, scorn, and mockery. For example... This is how he would throw it at Jesus. Okay, we see it in the nice version, but it had sarcasm and it had just a hatred to it. Remember, he is envious and he's full of rage. Everything that comes out of his mouth. That's why Jesus said it's not what goes in a person that makes them unclean, it's what comes out. And out of this, you know, demon or this devil's mouth is coming this. This is how he would throw. He said, the Son of God hungry? How ridiculous. If you are in fact the Son of God, prove it. Tell these stones to turn into bread. That's how he does it. Are you all with me? He goes, like you are the Son of God. Really? Go on, show us. He's always doing that. Now, this is no different to what the devil did to Jesus when he was on the cross, inspiring all those around Jesus to mock him. It says in Matthew chapter 27, verses 39 through 41, And the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Verse 40, So you can destroy the temple and build it in three days, can you? Well, then, if you are the Son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the other leaders also mocked Jesus. How terrible. These are meant to be upstanding people. I mean, no matter what somebody does, when they're suffering like that, really? You want to go and ridicule them and scorn them? You can see how demonic these people were. Amen? And you can see the same spirit in them as what's going on here. Are you all getting this? It's not any different spirit. It's the same spirit. Okay? So in light of this, we can just imagine the slanderous and disrespectful way that the devil who despised Jesus and was there in person, so to speak, would have been addressing him. Added to all this, William Hendrickson in his commentary says that the reality of the temptation and the severity of the trial may perhaps become even more clearly evident when the last Adam situation is compared with that of the first one. Okay? So Jesus against the first Adam. Okay? Both were tempted by Satan, but the difference in the gravity of the test appears from the following threefold contrast. First, nowhere in Genesis 3, verses 1 to 7, do we read that the Old Testament Adam had gone without food for any length of time. Jesus, on the contrary, had been fasting for 40 days. He was famished. Okay? Number one. Number two. Even had the father of the human race been hungry, he could have easily satisfied that hunger, for he had been told of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Remember that? He had a lot of trees to pick from. Amen. Alright? No such provision had been made for Christ. 
Remember, he's in the desert. Third, Eve's husband, when tempted, had, as it were, everything in his favor. For he was living in paradise. Jesus, at the time of his temptation, was staying in this horrible wilderness. Amen? Okay. But regardless of all of this, Jesus Christ still withstood and overcame both the temptation itself and the manner in which it was hurled at him. Now, can I just stop there for a minute? Be careful that you don't allow people's words, their attitudes, as horrible as they may be, okay, to influence your action. I know it's difficult. I know there are things that people have said to me that I just want to say, God, I know you'll forgive me. They're a very bad person. If I get rid of them, you'll be okay with this. One less problem to deal with. <laughs> you, know? You, know, you know, you just, you just think I'm doing God a favor. You know what? That is all coming from an anger. That is all coming from a reaction. That is not you asking God, what do I do? That is you telling God, I'm going to do this and you're going to be okay with it. <laughs> okay? That's not how it works. Do you understand? Regardless of what the devil did to Jesus, he didn't react in the way that the devil wanted him to react. It didn't matter how slanderous he was. And family, we need to learn this right now. Here's, here's your lesson for today. Okay, well, one of many. Don't let people get to you. Okay? If it's good, allow them in. If it's bad, put the walls up. I'm just telling you, just put them up. You don't need to react to things. And you know what? They'll probably apologize later as well anyway. Generally, people kind of you know, realize how stupid they were and somewhere down the line. And you know what? If you didn't take that offense you'll be quicker to forgive them. Amen? Besides that, whenever you take on an offense, you become entangled with them. And they're finding that out. I'm sorry to bring science in, but in quantum physics, they're finding out now there's an entanglement. Call it spooky uh, attraction at a distance. Kind of cute, you know? Because they don't know why. They've realized that if you forgive someone, you break the entanglement. All right? But if you don't, you're continually in contact with them, even if they're on the other side of the world. Isn't that interesting? And so that's the reason why, God, when God says to forgive, he's, He is telling you, break the entanglement. Break it. It's enough they've hurt you, don't allow them to hurt you for the rest of your life. Again, we talked about this on Sunday. Let's move on. So, again, regardless of everything that was going on, Jesus withstood and overcame both the temptation itself and the manner in which it was hurled at him. And so it says in Matthew 4.4, 4, But he answered and said, It is written. See, he uses the word of God. He didn't react to him. He's telling him off, but in, his, in the right way. He says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, that's the Greek word rhema, we'll talk about that in a minute, that proceeds from the mouth of God, or every word of God, says Luke 4.4. Now, the Spirit-filled Life Bible explains the difference between rhema and logos, both of which are translated words. So when we see either of these words in English, they're both translated as the word word. Is that confusing? Okay, uh, Okay. sorry about that. Okay. So it's the word in quotes word. Okay, and says that in reference to the Bible, and I'm trying to keep things simple for you guys, okay? In reference to the Bible, logos is the Bible in its entirety, Okay. The message, all right, the whole message. Rhema is a verse from the Bible, the communication of the message. So, one is the whole thing, the other one is 
scripture verses, if I can put it that way. Okay, all right. So, the meaning of rhema in distinction to logos is illustrated in Ephesians 6.17, where the reference is not to the scripture as a whole, but to that portion which the believer wields as a sword in time of need. So, you say, my God shall supply all my need according to His riches in glory. Okay? That is your verse. That is your scripture. So that becomes your rhema. In the context of Logos, you're getting rhema right now. And it is these things, these revelations that will help you overcome whatever battle you're facing. Okay. Now, as to what Jesus says in Matthew 4.4, it is actually a quote from Deuteronomy 8.3 when Moses, while reminding Israel of God's care for them during their 40 years in the wilderness, said to them, No, that man shall not, this is Deuteronomy 8.3, Know that man shall not live by bread alone, but... Man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Amen? It's interesting. You know, Jesus didn't just pull things out from nowhere. He knew all the scriptures. And so when he quotes something, it was exactly from the scriptures. Now what's astounding about this is that it was Jesus Christ who fed Moses and the multitudes in the wilderness during those 40 years. Remember? He is the one that was supplying. We again understand that most Bible scholars now agree that it's Jesus that was always down here doing stuff. Okay, God the Father basically has never left His throne. In addition to this, we know from His earthly ministry accounts that Jesus turned water into wine and multiplied the loaves and the fishes, meaning that He had the faith to both create and alter matter. And therefore, changing stones to bread and then multiplying that bread to last Him days, weeks, or even months would not have been a problem at all. Do you get that? He could have done it any time. Oh, it would have been difficult. You know, at any time, you could just pick up a rock, turn it into bread. You could have a feast out there. Nobody would know. <laughs> no? Yes, yes, I was fasting. No, <laughs> okay? All right? I mean, he had the, the power, the ability. If you, you can turn water into wine, you can turn rocks into, into bread. You get it? And the loaves and the fishes, he multiplied them. Once you got bread, you can multiply it as much as you want. He had that ability. It was all there. So we need to be aware of all of this. But rather than giving in to this temptation, Jesus says to the devil in Matthew 4.4, Satan, listen to this, okay? I've taken this from William Hendrickson. I've altered it a little bit, but it was his idea. He says here, Satan, you are proceeding under the false assumption that for a man to satisfy his hunger and stay alive, bread is an absolute necessity. However, I am letting you know now that it is not bread alone, but the creative, energizing, and sustaining power of God's Word that is in fact the key to man's life and well-being. He turned around and told him off. Okay? There are two scriptures that immediately come to mind in relation to all of this. They are first of all Psalm 33, 6, which says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. Do you understand made is the creation? Okay, and second Hebrews 1.3, which adds that he, that's the Lord, upholds all things by the word of his power. There's the energizing and the sustaining power. If not for God, this thing would fall apart. Do you understand? Amen? Okay, moving on. In other words, all things are not only made, 
but are also being upheld by the word of His power, meaning that all His power again is in His word. You all know that, right? Okay, we get a glimpse of this power in the way that it not only sustained Jesus Christ for 40 days and nights, but Moses as well. With Exodus chapter 34 verse 28 saying, So he, that is Moses, was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. That's basically an impossibility. Okay, And he wrote on the tablets the word of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. See, when you're in God's presence, it sustains you. It energizes you. It gives you life. Amen? That's the reason why, you know, so much of the time, it's so important to get in that presence of God in your prayer time if you can. I would really encourage that. It's, a, it's an amazing thing, that presence. And, it, you know, don't look for glory balls and stuff, okay? It, it just comes very quietly. It's almost like a mist that comes in the Spirit that just slowly rolls in. And you'll suddenly feel like, whoa, something is going on here. Okay? Don't let your outward senses tell you there's nothing there. You're picking this up on the inside. Amen? Now, it has had physical manifestations in some places. You know, that churches and pastors have sort of said the actual sanctuary filled up with smoke. All right? And it was just like the Spirit was there. It sort of happened to us once or twice, but, you know, I don't know if people had too much pizza or what. Anyway, so, <laughs> okay. I, I, I try to keep things on the down and low and things like that because people go weird on you otherwise. Where was I? Okay, so looking back at... Let's finish this. I've got two more things to say, and then we're done with this first temptation. So looking back at Matthew 4.4, 4, with reference to the term every word, Leon Morris explains that Jesus is not suggesting that parts of Scripture may safely be neglected, but affirming that it is profitable in its entirety. In other words, we must resist the temptation to become favorite word people, and become people who live off every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Amen? So, first temptation failed miserably. We'll leave it there, and we'll come back next week, not next week, next time, and pick up on the next temptation, and see how that failed miserably as well. Amen. <laughs> okay, this is a war between two kingdoms, and one kingdom is literally just getting pummeled every step of the way. Don't ever think that the temptations was poor old Jesus. If anything, is kind of poor old devil, because he was just letting him have it in so many ways. We don't even know how much damage he did to the devil throughout this thing. A lot of people miss that. When you use the word, it is a sword. Do you hear me? And in the spirit realm, we still don't see it. Paul said, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Amen? That's exactly what Jesus was doing. He was battling in the spirit. He had a sword. He was swinging at the devil and he was hitting him every single time. God only knows, and I mean that literally, how badly the devil was damaged after all of this. Jesus wasn't the one that came out all battered and bruised. It's the devil that was sent home in tatters. And we're going to see more of that next time. All right. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed.